business perspective that as soon as a person is in the chair and having their ketamine assisted therapy session, that's the end. And in my mind, that's really the start of the relationship mm-hmm. we should be having with people and then enabling them, you know, it's, it's integration, but on a lifestyle level. Hey guys, welcome to another podcast episode. Today we're speaking with Ronan Levy. He is the CEO of Field Trip Health. They made a beautiful app where you can journal, you can prepare with meditations, you can listen to music, all for your psychedelic journey at home. But they also have ketamine clinics in the US and a psilocybin retreat here in the Netherlands. Now I actually visited them in New York, met with the team, and I was quite impressed with the way they operate. So today we're speaking with the CEO to hear what it's like to have a psychedelic business of that size. Because in 2021 alone, they received an investment of over $95 million. Now these are investments that the psychedelic scene has never seen before. What does it take to operate at that scale? Do psychedelics and capitalism actually mix or not at all? And how does he see the future of psychedelic businesses? How does a business of this size operate while being respectful for the heritage of psychedelics as well? Now, of course, we are a psychedelic business, so check out fortjsupplies.com and sign up for the newsletter if you have not already, because we are building our new product and you get a chance to co-create it with us via email. We also have a special promotion on our portal box for the spirit molecule. But now we're going to listen to a podcast. All right. See you afterwards. Maybe to start out with, um, when did you personally um, realize for yourself that psychedelics will become the next big thing in your life? Was it a personal psychedelic experience? Was it research and numbers that you thought like this seems something I want to get into or? Yeah, it's, um, it wasn't a psychedelic experience. It was a culmination of a number of things to be quite honest. So, uh, my career trajectory has been wide and varied. I started my life as a corporate lawyer and then became a pharmaceuticals lawyer and then worked in online dating and then opened a cash for gold store. And lo and behold, found myself working in the cannabis industry, uh, myself and the people who we co-founded, I co-founded Field Trip with, um, started a company called Canadian Cannabis Clinics, which grew to become the largest network of cannabis specialized medical clinics in Canada. Uh, and that opened my eyes to plant medicine. Up until that point, I was like, sure, plant medicine or cannabis medicine, right? Um, I had no problem if people wanted to use cannabis or psychedelics or anything along those lines, but uh, call it medicine seemed like a little bit of a stretch from my lens at that time. Uh And then we opened Canadian cannabis clinics and I saw that it is real medicine, to be quite honest. Like we, yep. we genuinely improve the lives of probably a quarter of a million Canadians by facilitating their access to cannabis medicine. Um, and that really shifted my perspective. And so we sold that business uh, to a company called Aurora Cannabis, spent a couple of years there, left. And the first conversation um, that I had afterwards. Am I coming through okay, guys? Yeah, Um, perfectly. Okay, it's perfect. Awesome. Uh, The first conversation we had after leaving Aurora was with someone, uh, her name is Judy Bloomstock. She started a company called Diamond Therapeutics, which was looking to pursue a drug development path for microdosing psilocybin. And I was like, psychedelics are a thing and i had kind of vaguely recalled something about peter Thiel investing in a company doing psilocybin which year was um, this? but if you remember which year was that 2000 this was 2018. okay um and so I was just struck by it. And I just had this intuitive sense that this was really, really interesting, even though i had never tried psychedelics truthfully up until that point um The convergence, though, for me was uh, at the end of that conversation with Judy, she's like, she described uh, her experience with psilocybin as, you know, a single psilocybin assisted therapy experience being like 10 years of therapy in an afternoon. And even though that could and may still be a gross exaggeration, it dovetailed with my personal journey where I had spent the last 10 years working with meditation and coaching and therapy and just doing all sorts of things to explore Mm -hmm. my consciousness, not with drugs. Uh, and, and I was like, Oh, 
okay, this is really interesting. Like this speaks to me personally now. If this is the thing that helps people go deeper or if this is the thing that um, enables all the people who would never ever consider going to yeah. therapy to open up that, I'll call it a spiritual exploration because I believe yeah. it is a spiritual exploration. But if that opens the door to a spiritual exploration for those people who would be completely turned off by this conversation, yeah. then this is worth doing. Um, and so a week later, uh, called a buddy of mine, uh, who I knew had access to some mushrooms. We each took a gram of mushrooms in our office and I was like, okay, I get it. You know, it wasn't a <laughs> massive dose, but the thing that stood out in that experience was the level of empathy I felt like uh, we were, we had left Aurora and we had left on reasonably good terms, but there was like a bad taste in some people's mouths there. We couldn't understand why, because we thought we had acted professionally and appropriately and maturely. So we thought we had done the right thing. And so everyone should be cool, but they weren't. And, and I couldn't figure out, we couldn't figure out why. And then through this experience, I was like, Oh, I get it. I get why they're pissed off. It's like, I wouldn't have done anything different from what we did. I still think we did the right thing in the right way with the right communication, but yeah, I can understand why they're pissed. I can feel that now. And I was like, wow, that is powerful. When you feel mm -hmm. empathy on that level. Oof, was uh, it something you, you, you prior thought that you would be good at? You thought before that you were like an empathetic person. Was that your image of yourself or they got like, Oh, actually like I'm not empathetic enough. I, you know, I, I, I hadn't, I didn't ask that question. I never really thought about it, but from the lens of, uh, Ronan in October of 2022, looking back, I don't think I was necessarily that empathetic. I think I've always been not a little bit aloof. I'm not sure that's the right word, but just kind of like just present and, and not mm -hmm. getting caught up in people's experiences too much, just being in my own experience. Um, caring enough. And I, I don't think I was uncaring. It was just kind I'm of interested. like what you're going through is what you're going through. And that's yeah. cool, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna feel super sad for you, mm -hmm. you know, or anything along those okay. lines. I'm going to be here if you, if you need a shoulder to cry on for sure, but I'm not going to be sad because you're sad. Uh, your reality gets mine. I, a little bit and like just yeah. getting space for it and trying not to take it on. I, I think in other aspects of my life, I take up people's problems a lot, um, but not their emotions, just their problems. Um, and so, so I, I've also, I also think I'm pretty open-minded. So like I'm, I'm cool to roll with the punches. Whereas for people who are closed-minded or see the world in a very narrow way, if, if that moment of empathy can just like, for a moment shift the world to see it differently for the people who are pretty close-minded like wow that could be world changing right like mm -hmm. that is a super powerful mm -hmm. thing and don't get me wrong i'm not by any means saying I'm, I'm perfect or anything along those lines i just i i just know that like i'm i'm cool with a lot of stuff i can roll with a lot of stuff that's always been kind of who i am um uh, but I know there's a lot of people who struggle with it, who get caught up in anxiety and fear and anger and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, wow, that, that would be super powerful if, if we can let go a lot of that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. With Perche, we also, uh, mentioned a lot that this mere fact that psychedelics break down boundaries, that you feel a little bit more connected with everything, even if that's in the slightest sense, it's already very beneficial. And it's amazing that, you know, this is being used uh, therapeutically to connect more, you know, with your past and then to connect more with others. Um, but yeah, we're excited to see the, you know, the home use and the practicalities mm. of this uh, come to life. Empathy and business and the traditional way of doing business. Do you think that uh, psychedelics and capitalism go good together in a broad, in a broader way? I think they can, um, you know, I think what I like, it's, it's conscious capitalism, right? Which is mm -hmm. I'm, I think I'm, I am capitalist. I am, I think it's a very good system for amplifying good and addressing bad and, and expanding wealth. Um, uh, it's not without its limitations. It's not without its problems. It's not without its excesses. There's no doubt about that. 
But I think we're getting to a point more and more where people realize that the for-profit motive can be harnessed in a good way and, and the excesses can be constrained quite a bit. And, and so if you have conscious people running companies that are seeking to do good um, while doing well at the same time, it, it can be a very collaborative experience. I mean, we're just kind of getting into it now. There's not a lot of big successful companies who are who are b corps or you know different different corporate structures that enable broader considerations um but i don't foresee that trend going away and i think we'll see the impact of companies that embrace like a a very conscious commitment to esg and and good ethical behaviors will probably be one of the most powerful forces for good that we've ever seen yeah, we, we are strong believers in entrepreneurial, yeah, the power of startups and entrepreneurial adventures to change the world, right? That's the, how you see the biggest changes in our society right now through technology. Uh, in the realm of psychedelics, as you mentioned, it's quite still in its infancy. We started our business really from the ground up, from, you know, the, the, the psychedelic community. And there is, of course, some controversy for coming, you know, like a big business like yourselves. You have a huge uh, business and comes with some responsibility, of course, you know, coming more, yeah, top down. Uh, it's a lot of investment money. Um, but it seems like you also are very mission driven. Of course, everybody's profit driven, you, you know, in order to make impact, you got to have profit. Um, but still, what what is it like for you to be ahead of, you know, one of the largest psychedelic businesses of this time, which is unique? Uh, it's awe-inspiring and terrifying and frustrating and exhilarating all at the same time, you know, day-to-day, hour-to-hour. Um, what, what's so terrifying about, about this then? What's so terrifying about this? A couple of things. One is... People look at us as, as being a bellwether for the, the psychedelic renaissance, right? Um, okay. And that's a lot of responsibility. And we're not a profitable company yet. And, and we're getting closer and closer every day. But then you look at the capital markets and you realize the headwinds are very much against just about any publicly traded company, most companies, just about everybody these days, actually. But uh, particularly, you know, the headwinds against companies like ours is strong. Um, and so we don't just carry the responsibility for field trip and our investors and our employees and our stakeholders. We also carry the responsibility of a lot of the hopes and dreams of the entire movement. Um, and, and that's, that's a lot. And and that can be scary when it goes sideways. Um, so that, that's, what's scary about it. You have sleepless nights feeling the weight of, uh, of the psychedelic community on your shoulder. Not don't mess it up, Ronan. <laughs> uh, I, I have sleepless nights because of my children. I don't have sleepless nights about, okay. uh, you know, having the, that weight. Um, mm-hmm. But it is always top of mind, you know, when we're looking at it, being like, listen, if, if, if something goes sideways at field trip, it's going to probably set back a lot of what's happening right now. And I, mm-hmm. I again, profit is part of the motive, but the bigger motive is, is facilitating change for me and, and creating positive impact. And, and so if, if our positive impact gets truncated, that's one thing, but if it impacts other people's ability to do it because of our inability to do it, that sucks. Like, and, and that's really mm. what I don't want to feel. Okay. So you have to manage, um, field trip and your own family. How do you get it all? Um, how do you keep it under control? Um, how do you stay sane and do you have some uh, personal development um, tactics? Do you do yeah. meditation, yeah, ice baths? What like, does your life look like yeah. as this Mark Zuckerberg of psychedelics? <laughs> That's a weird comparison. <laughs> Elon Musk of psychedelics. Pick, take your pick. <laughs> Um, I mean, part of that question presumed that I'm sane and, and I don't know that's necessarily a fair presumption, but, um, you know, uh, again, I, I think I was gifted with a lot of resilience. Um, I, you know, one of my superpowers, so to speak, is to just like keep moving, uh, in the face mm-hmm. of adversity and, and keep moving where other people would drop off. Um, and I think that's probably explains my ability to continue notwithstanding all the obligations and commitments in my life. Like, um, 
like my day typically involves waking up, you know, if I can at six or six thirty, so I can get a little bit of exercise in, uh, feeding my kids breakfast, making lunch for them, getting them ready for school, showering, going to work, coming back from work, dinner with the family, putting the kids to bed. And then, uh, you know, either a little bit of work or hanging out with my wife for a little bit, uh, go to sleep, rinse, repeat. And, and that's pretty much every day interspersed only usually with like, if I have to travel for work, um, is, is that, so it's a grind. Uh, I do five minutes of breathing every night before I go to sleep. Um, and you know, every once in a while I get to like, uh, other ship. I don't know if you guys are familiar with other ship, but it's, uh, uh, modern, modern sauna, uh, and ice plunge mm. place in Toronto. Uh, every once in a while I get there. Um, but that's it. It's like, I, I don't, I don't, I've never been very good at having habits. Um, mm -hmm. you know, like journaling or anything along those lines, I probably should be better at that, but I'm not. So <laughs> I just keep doing what I'm doing and, and, and keep moving yeah. forward. Yeah. If it works for you, if you feel happy and if you feel that, yeah, living yeah, in the moment. Yeah, right? your mind stays clear enough. Huh. Then uh, some people also like create more friction and tension by adding too many habits to their lives, and then actually yeah. getting disappointed by not following up on them. Yeah, totally true. I, like I said, I'm. What? I don't get sucked up too much, and I get there's. I have certain things that are my drama. Like uh, I get sucked up in like you know, feeling like I'm a bad friend and that will take me down a rabbit mm -hmm. hole yeah. really quickly. Mm -hmm. And I get total financial anxiety and that will take me down a rabbit hole really quickly. Mm -hmm. and yeah. Those things will keep me up. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, yeah. Whether my business succeeds or not, obviously there's a financial component to it, but that doesn't keep me up at night. And, and so going back to like, what are the habits or practices? The one thing that enables me to do what I do is hiring good people and having great yeah. business partners who are really good at their job. Um, and so like, I, I rest easy most nights knowing that the things that need to be done are being handled well. Um, and if they weren't, then I'd probably be up a lot more. When was the last time you took a vacation? <laughs> last time we took a vacation was in March. Uh, my family and I went to Curacao. Um, nice. Actually, no, that's not true. We actually had a little bit of a vacation a couple of weeks ago. So we've been working on a documentary called Ordinary Trip um, that mm -hmm. uh, we just, just about finished uh, edit on now. Uh, we did a small private screening for a few people in New York City um, in conjunction with Horizons. And it was actually the first time my wife Stephanie, Stephanie and I had gone away without the kids. So we had mm -hmm. four days or three days in mm -hmm. New York without kids and, and just a party. So that was nice. Um, that was a bit of a vacation. Prior to that was Curacao in March. Um, Common to mind honestly, in New York City. I love New York. It's a, it's a great city. It's just like, it's a different form. It's a different form yeah. of scent. Yeah. Right? It's just a different it energy level. Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, I was just there. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of India, you know, the chaos. There's always something new around every corner. <laughs> and uh, it was actually interesting to uh, also go to field trip uh, to meet your colleagues. I was surprised uh, yeah. you know, by how, how friendly they, uh, they were and uh, how professional everything uh, was. And how beautiful, you know, the, the spaces are that you uh, built there. Um, what what are your future plans? Uh, for what, what is the big mission for a field trip and for yourself? Are you going to build out all these spaces? I know the, the business has several components to it, um, but for the clinics? Yeah. Um, so we're shifting a little bit right now uh, in terms of our strategy, which is um, right now I think people – like the broader community, not within the psychedelic community. I think of psychedelics as like a treatment. Like you go in, you do a psilocybin assisted therapy session, like you, you kind of get better. And, and there's a truth to that, but I think the real truth and the, and the real impact is like the lifestyle decisions and the, and the changes you make to who you are and how you live that come out of it that matter a lot more. And there aren't a lot of people really focusing on supporting that. You know, a lot of people think, from a business perspective that as soon as a person is in the chair and having their ketamine assisted therapy session, that's the end. In, in my mind, that's really the start of the relationship mm -hmm. we should be having with people and then enabling them, you know, it's, it's integration, but on a, on a, on 
kind of a, a lifestyle level of it's not just about meditating and journaling about what came up. It's about making sure you're surrounding yourself with people who can keep the conversation alive for you and inspire mm -hmm. you to adopt the habits, go to Othership and do the cold plunge, you know, write the book you've always wanted to write uh, instead of surrounding yourself by the same people who may be supportive or, or, or may not be, you know, it's like, when you go through these experiences and when you can share it with other people, community naturally forms and it's super powerful. Uh, and right now it's around the world. It's very disparate, right? It's, it's not coherent. It's not connected. And so we're trying to move towards like, let's, let's be a center of gravity for the psychedelic space. So everybody in the psychedelic conversation can find a home somewhere in field trip, whether that's just listening to the meditations on our app or whether that's coming into our clinic for a psychedelic assistant therapy session, whether it's going to a meetup or listening to music or whatever the case may be, there's always a place for you here um, to continue and facilitate your journey in, in whatever way you need is, is how we're trying to build the company mm -hmm. right now. And so that's focused on a much more digital and scalable aspect right now, instead of building brick and mortar clinics and spaces for this kind of stuff, we just want to, build the foundation of scalable foundation that can reach a lot more people. Mm -hmm. um, for now, um, your mission is to help people with yeah, depression and anxiety, um, I guess, if I'm right. But is it a plan to move more towards uh, personal development um, side of things or to help people who are actually doing fine to get even better? I mean, it's all personal development, you know, it's just a question of where you are it's on the spectrum. Um, yeah. yeah um, yes. I, I want to move kind of more towards like the growth side of things as opposed to coming up to baseline. Uh, so people who are struggling with depression and anxiety, which is where a lot of the focus has been, um, it's an important segment, but, uh, what inspires me is like helping people move up the journey, not to just like getting to baseline, but going beyond yeah. it. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot more people in the world who are like looking to grow and expand uh, as opposed to like deal with, and we may all have, you know, they may have experienced depression and anxiety and all that kind of stuff. But I think their motivation is really like, I want to elevate. I want to step up. I want to be more of who I am, which is, nothing to do with depression or anxiety, right? That's not the, that's not the real language of depression and anxiety. Um, so part of that is shifting the conversation, which is like, um, recognizing that depression, talking about depression and anxiety and DSM five diagnoses is only one way of looking at what you're experiencing. And it's constructive in terms of being able to prescribe medications and all that kind of stuff but it shouldn't be definitive. It's like, you don't have depression, you know, um, mm -hmm. you are experiencing a depressed state without question, but there's so many facets to that that aren't just what your brain is doing. And so let's let all of you in. Um, how do we let all of you in beyond just talking about depression and anxiety? Um, and that's, that's what excites me. You know, just changing changing the conversation altogether. To be quite honest, yeah. Stop labeling it as well. Just uh, it's depression, there's anxiety. It's yeah. It's all a... labeling is con constructive, as long as we're recognizing it's just a label and it's not yeah. a complete answer. Um, mm -hmm. That's that's I think the important part. Right, and you mentioned that the the actual work that you do outside of that session. You know, is is what's so incredibly important, and uh, I can imagine that your app that you're continuously innovating on, and and I saw that you had a, a rebranding or another rebranding, but you moved it to the next level. Um, is that going to help people integrate better and work better on themselves as well? That that's the plan. Yeah. So we have a number of initiatives underway there. So we've got great content and, uh, and music. It's just not well structured right now, or at least it could be really improved in terms of its structure. Um, and, and, and so we're going to be focusing on that so that, you know, we can reach everybody, whether you're, um, you know, going to the Netherlands and not coming to field trip, but having a, a psilocybin truffle experience 
and want the music or the preparation guide or the meditations or the integration work afterwards, uh, or you're coming to our clinics, it doesn't matter. Um, we want this to be a powerful tool to support you on, on your journey. So at any point you can tap into the shift and the, and the movement, both on a personal level and also on a social and cultural level. It's all, it's all with you. Um, and that's going to be the focus of the app going forward. Yeah. And it's a, it's a great app. Uh, a lot of our community members, they use it and love it. I use it and love it myself as well. It's, uh, Wonderful. it's really well designed. Even if you're in that state, it's, uh, still, you can maneuver through things. <laughs> so so, some, is something you, you tried to make it accessible? Like while yeah, did, you, did you do some field testing yourself? <laughs> did you actually field test it? I didn't field test it personally. No, I wasn't part of the development team. I was just giving feedback on, um, you know, how it looked and how I thought it <laughs> felt, uh, but I was, I was not a field tester, um, uh, but uh, I have used it subsequently. Uh, and yeah, it's great. It, it, uh, it's still a work in progress. It can still be made better, but uh, right. I think it makes people feel comfortable, which is what we really wanted. Um, and what about the psychedelics themselves? So now you're focusing on ketamine clinics and you have the psilocybin uh, clinic here in Amsterdam. Um, what psychedelics are you most enthusiastic about? Also knowing that you are exploring uh, patents in uh, various analogs and, and where do you see the future head in the psychedelic scene? Um, well, there's two ways to answer that. Me personally, the, the psychedelic experiences that have resonated with me the most are, are definitely within the sphere of like the empathogens. So you know, mescaline, San Pedro, uh, and MDMA. It's like that, that, that helps me tap into a part of me that, uh, maybe it's why I wasn't as empathetic as I should be, but like, it helps me tap into my emotions on a much deeper level. And I'm very good at being in my head. I'm not so good at being in my heart. And it's really nice to, to kind of get pulled down mm -hmm. there. Um, mm -hmm. in, in terms of the industry, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not objective by any stretch of the imagination, but I think the approach that we took at Field Trip as part of our drug development efforts. Um, now the company is now called Reunion Neuroscience after we sp had a spin out uh, with its focus on uh, FT104, which is a pro drug of 4-HODIPT. I think that's really, really the way to go, which is this, you know it's a gentle sort of speak psychedelic gentle as compared to say five MEO DMT mm -hmm. um, and uh, relatively shorter duration of action uh, than, than psilocybin, but same kind of experience as psilocybin. So you kind of got the right time frame for a powerful journey without it being too long, it being something that's pretty gentle. So in terms of a lot of people, uh, being able to partake of it and have positive experiences. I think it can reach a lot of people effectively. Uh, and I think we're going to see the outcomes be fantastic because it works in the brain very similarly to psilocybin. So that's, that's kind of the direction I'm most excited about. Um, most of the other trials these days are, are just using classic, classic psychedelics for different, you know, purposes or different indications. And I, I, I don't quite understand the business rationale for all of those use cases. Um, and, and so I'm not, you know, it's great. It's great that it's going to be more accessible and for more indications and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know how much it necessarily moves the needle. Uh, in a, yeah, in a that, that's my sense. that's my objection. Though. Like it, it sounds like the the McDonald's version of psychedelics, right? It's it's fast, so you can put people in a clinic and they're, they're in and they're out, and it, it's a little bit more <laughs> mild, so people don't get like into bizarre situations. So yeah. It, it, I, I have my own own doubts. Like, is it good or is it also, you know, a five MEO DMT straight from nature? It completely shifts your mind within a minute, so you know, shakes things around. Um, or, or should we have this? Not for everyone. This, this, yeah, this, this modified uh, psychedelic. Well, it's not modified, but it's, it's, it's this psychedelic that is just more calm and, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's seems like psychedelic with side wheels, you know. Yeah, it, it very much is, um, and uh, it's fair to debate whether you know psychedelics were side uh, with with side wheels uh, or the McDonald's version of it 
is a good thing for society or not. Like my personal viewpoint, going back to our original thesis of like, can I get that guy in Pittsburgh to try mushrooms uh, uh, or not? It's like, well, mm-hmm. if I can get people to try this, then we can open up to a much more interesting conversation. But if they never try it in the first place, then the conversation doesn't get started. Right. So, um, you know, I, I don't, I, I appreciate the analogy to McDonald's and maybe when McDonald's was considered healthy, it would probably be a more appropriate analogy. Now it's seen as junk food, but if you look <laughs> at it as being something that's, that's illuminating and, and positive, um, it seems mm-hmm. like even, even if it's just a little bit superficial, even if it's a little bit shallow, even if it's not like the true experience, if it opens people up to leaning further then I think it's worthwhile, but you know, I guess we'll, we'll see how it bears out. All right, guys, little intermezzo. That means pause in Italian, I think, I hope. Um, remember the code, remember, it's going to give you $30 off on our portal box and upcoming ceremony box. So go to our website, portiersupplies.com. Remember. Yeah. How how much is it about the experience with psychedelics you believe and how much is it just about the chemical process that's going on in the brain that rewires uh... I I was thinking about that. I mean obviously I don't know, so I'm just speculating. Um I don't think any of us really know, but there's a lot of interest right now in either virtual reality as like a proxy for a psychedelic experience or, Mm -hmm. you know, the company is working to remove the psychedelic or the psychotropic aspect of the psychedelic experience from the, the drug. And, and, and we haven't seen the results, but you know, my instinct is like most things it's, it's contextual and it's everything. It's, it's, it's the chemistry, it's the experience, it's the integration, it's all of these things. And when you remove one, it doesn't necessarily defeat it entirely. Like if you remove the psychedelic experience from psychedelic drugs, they may still be positively impactful for sure. Um, but probably not to the same extent as, as having the experience or if it's just VR without the chemistry can do something, but probably not as much, right? It's not as an embodied experience yeah. and therefore is going to be of limit as limited utility. That's my expectation. Um, in terms of virtual reality, um, how about, um, assisted therapy, in a virtual space. So taking a psychedelic and then, um, having your therapy waiting for you in virtual space while you are doing it, um, at home on your couch, is there something you think worthwhile exploring or is it not personal enough for the experience? Uh, I've, uh, I've become a, a big believer in the expression, fuck around and find out. Um, so it, it's worth exploring, you know, if that's the question, yeah, absolutely. It's worth exploring. Is it going to be good or bad? We don't know. And we won't know until we try it. Right. Um, my sense is, my sense is my, yeah, my, my sense is that our brains or our souls or our psyches or whatever the word we want to use that's being shifted by these experiences is kind of holo, like holographic. It's, it's multidimensional, right? And so if a therapy experience with VR on your couch pushes further, like takes that holograph and stretches it further in a direction that we don't normally get to stretch it in just one-on-one talk therapy, then that can be really positive, right? And 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 I'm, you know, my kind of philosophy is everything we can do to expand that holograph in different directions enhances the collective awareness, enhances the collective knowledge, you know, expands our species and, and leads us closer towards evolution, whatever that mm-hmm. means. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, going back to fuck around and find out, it's like, yeah, every, every kind of experiment to push that limit, as long as it's done ethically, uh, and with full consent of the participants and, you know, let's, let's do it and see where it leads. Some of them will be good. Some of them will be bad. Um, but it'll all expand our knowledge and, and create more awareness. 
I could imagine ketamine going quite well with the virtual uh, reality experience. Yeah. Every time I'm on ketamine, I'm like, wow, this is really like a video game. This reality is so unreal and real at the same time. I would, uh, yeah. I would see this as the substance that goes best with virtual reality. My, my experience is my, my first experience with ketamine went very deep and I was sucked into what felt like the, the beating heart of the universe. And it was like, <laughs> it was alive, but it was dark. And I'm not sure I'd mm -hmm. want to be wearing a VR goggle at that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but maybe it's a, a, a lighter dose. It makes sense. Yeah. It was a decay hole. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it could be quite dark. Yeah. Do do your participants at your clinics sometimes experience a K hole, or you never give those a negative K hole, or yeah. a K hole in general? I we're pretty conscious. Like in in this particular experience, I told the provider to like take me as deep, like give me the largest dose that he thought was like appropriate. So I, mm -hmm. I went deep. Um, with with our clients um because the use case is a little bit different we're a little bit more judicious and cautious and i i'm not familiar with anyone having gone into a total k-hole in our clinic uh and, and certainly um people have challenging experiences but that's not necessarily a bad thing right we, sometimes mm -hmm. that that's needed to bring up the stuff and move through the the feelings and emotions that need to be felt so uh by and large, most people have very positive experiences. Some, you know, a typical uh, course is six six ketamine sessions interspersed yeah. with integration, and um, and sometimes people will come out and be like, oh, "That was like pretty disappointing," or "That didn't seem very profound," and, and be disappointed. And then they'll come back with the next time and have their minds totally blown open. Um, and so it really is when you look at the totality of people who have completed the whole journey, people who have completed it, um, almost uniformly speak incredibly highly of the overall experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, we of course focused in the beginning on dimethyltryptamine on DMT. Um, yep. still not spoken much about in, in a clinical setting and a retreat setting five MEO is, but it, it's a little bit of a different psychedelic, right? It's mm -hmm. like the caviar of, 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 of psychedelics. People ex <laughs> yeah, find it too expensive or too extreme. Um, what do uh, you think of these psychedelics? Um, I've never had an experience with just DMT. I've had two five MEO DMT experiences and <laughs> it's the, like, it's an indescribably intense experience. I, I try to give analogies to people of what it's like. And, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like, oh, I mean, I imagine the people listening uh, may, may be well informed on this, but you know, it's, it's like the most intense roller coaster you've ever been on multiplied by a factor of a thousand. It's like seeing the old screen, like the old uh, fuzz on a TV screen and then like being warped <laughs> right through it. It's like falling through um, a wormhole in space. It's, it, it was so intense that uh, it's actually featured in our documentary. You'll see my first experience with it where like I am writhing and screaming at the top of my lungs. Cause it wow. was also the most terrifying mm -hmm. experience of my life. You know, the total loss of control was terrifying for me. Um, mm -hmm. and then like I come out the other side, I'm like, yeah, I'll do that again. It's kind of like watching right. scary movies or like going on a roller coaster, but like increasing the factor by a thousand and then just like feeling fantastic afterwards. Um, yeah, but that, that, can also, that can also be super beneficial, right? That, that like you don't have a chance to choose to let go or not. You have to let go. And a lot I mean, of people who have issues with letting go, you know, they, they have to. So they, they learn about this instead of giving it like a tiny bit and it's not too afraid or not too scary. Right. Get in there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. You're, you're getting in there for sure. Um, for me, it was an amazing experience. It's like, it was super challenging, super, super challenging, but I felt amazing. It felt like there's just like some sort of cellular pre reprogramming happening mm -hmm. at some level that I couldn't, my conscious mind couldn't, couldn't attach to, but I felt great afterwards. And, and even though 
I've now done it twice and in both experience, I writhe around and, and look like I'm in agony and uh, look like I'm psychotic. And at the <laughs> end, I'm like, that was awesome. Let's do that again. Um, <laughs> and so it's, it's really hard to articulate what changes, mm-hmm. but something does genuinely change. Um, and yep. again, haven't tried DMT. So that's high on the list of new experiences to have. And, and I'll see how that compares. But I think very different. Yeah. Very different. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's just like overcoming the stigma of the last 50 years. It's like, it's a lot to ask people to drop from like nothing into DMT or 5-MeO DMT. And, and so as yeah. much as it's appropriate for people to have to let go of control, it's also probably the right thing to do to let people dip a toe in and then dip their foot in and get up to their waist and then, you know, be ready for the, the next step yeah. whenever it comes. If they want, if they are ready. Yeah, of course. I completely understand. Was it beneficial in your in your life after the 5MEO DMT experience to let go sometimes certain things or to let an experience happen instead of trying to maintain control over it at all times? Did you take this with you somehow? <laughs> Um, there's certainly the lesson I took away from it, but it's not necessarily the lesson I've been able to like actually implement, um, in, in a subsequent experience. So I, I had my first experience with 5-MeO-DMT in May of, of this year. Uh, and about a month or two ago, I had never experienced, I never tried LSD. So I decided, okay, it's time to do like a, a real dose of LSD. And so I took a dose and what happens on, on LSD and the truth, we all psilocybin, unless it's high dose, it's like, I feel a knot of anxiety in my stomach and I have trouble letting go and like actually leaning into it. Um, and and so on this LSD experience, I was feeling that even though it was after my five MEO experience, I kind of knew what it was. It's like, I'm not letting myself, I can't, I, I'm not able to let go. And then I decided to take one puff off a cannabis vape pen. And after that, like, I don't know what shifted, but every time I shut my eyes, I was able to go back into the vortex that is five MEO, like that pure chaos mm-hmm. uh, feeling. And, um, and uh, and what I realized is that feeling that the onset of 5-MEO, I've experienced it numerous times in my life without 5-MEO. Mm-hmm. Like when I, about four or five months ago, I had to have some gum surgery. And so they gave me a local anesthetic. And and while I was sitting out there with this, with on LSD with a little bit of cannabis, and I went back into it, I'm like, oh, that feeling of crossing over, that kind of, terror i had that in the moment right before the anesthetic kicked in like i i I remember that now of like just like that moment of total loss of control and it's fucking terrifying you know um (laughs) and then like i remember a, a moment as a child where i got taken somewhere and i remember being like not knowing where i was and totally discombobulated and not quite as out of control as a 5 meo experience but it was the same feeling of just total loss of control. Um, and, uh, and so it's like a lesson that I need to work on that I need to learn to, you know, give up control more or, or be less precious about holding on to control. I don't think I'm a very controlling person. And that's the funny thing is like in so many ways, I think people would tell you that I'm not controlling at all. I'm super easygoing and, and, follow the flow but turns out deep down i hold on to a lot of control at least on like the inside my internal emotions i have a vice grip on that uh, (laughs) it has to be wrenched from my hands with 5meo or any other psychedelic uh, and it'd be nicer to not have to make that such a struggle every time yeah good lessons from our perspective uh you on your side, us on our side, are helping build tools to help people, you know, get get rid of those frustrations. Like, oh, I, I can be a better person by learning to let go or being kinder to myself. Um, now we are mostly in the hardware space. Uh, you are mostly in the software space and in the clinical space. Um, but do you still see uh, um, improvements that we could make to, you know, a physical? product that people have besides them in their lives that they walk by every day because it's in the in their home like in the living room um how can we improve this these tools 
to help people improve their lives with psychedelics in a respectful and safe way. I actually really like what you guys are doing, which is, you know, um, a conscious reminder of, of the experiences and, and choosing to live in a different direction. It's like, I wear this necklace, like a, it's like a beaded necklace, which in many ways I wear to be that reminder for myself to like, slow down, be conscious, think about things, you know, um, take all the lessons both from psychedelics and all the other work I've done and, and hold on to them. But it's so easy to, um, uh, forget it, right? Cause it's there all the time. And so having something that isn't with you all the time, but every time you walk past it, if you can just have that reminder, it's just like be present and remember what it stands for and why it's there and where you've been as a result of what's in the box or notionally what should go in the box. I think it's super powerful. And I think that's probably the most powerful thing. It's like, we're, we're so quick to forget what we're doing and why, um, that anything that can be a very gentle and not annoying. Cause if it's annoying, we'll just push it out of the way, but yeah. just like that gentle nudge to like course correct a little bit is, is such a wonderful thing. Um, and, and so if I had great ideas beyond, I think the symbolic and, and energetic considerations beyond that, I'm certainly happy to share them with you. But I think what you've got right now is, is a wonderful start. Um, mm -hmm. and, yeah, it's, and it, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's a, it's a reminder for people, you know, to, like you said, to slow down and to take the time for yourself because people are so busy. You know, they, especially in New York, where your clinic is, they race through life and then suddenly they're in your clinic and, you know, might even be the first time that they're just alone with their thoughts without anything for an hour. And now, especially they're getting extra ketamine on top of that. But, you know, uh, usually when, yeah, when our users, uh, take psychedelics, it's like, Oh shit. Yeah. Wow. I've been racing through life for the past year. Okay. This is where I am in life. So yeah, it's this gentle nudge, you know, to to take time and, and love yourself and, and, and have a moment with yourself intimately or with your best friends, uh, but to really contemplate life and how you yeah, reflect and, and improve. All right. So, yeah, uh, I think it does a great job of that. And I think, I think what would, I mean, one way it's like, it's more of a software, so to speak. It's like, how do you create ceremony or how do you keep going back to that? Like I, I'm Jewish. And like, I'm not practicing Jewish, but I know growing up every Friday night, we had dinner with our grandparents and that just became like the tradition. And it was a moment in theory to reflect it's with family. So mostly it was just annoying and got into fights, but at least to like the moment was there <laughs> that you always had to yeah. like, you know, circle back to. And it's like, I think, I think having a little bit more ceremony, um, in our lives that way of like just a consistent, consistent check-in um yeah and, and yeah. so like that would be a great way is like how, how do you encourage people to do that on the regular and make that part of their yeah. daily weekly monthly whatever routine is i think a big part of what can that yeah value. and how, how beautiful would it be you know and in maybe 30 years that you know people see this as a normal thing so you could you know do it with your family or you know take uh you know sit around the MDMA uh, box and just, you know, have a lovely relaxed uh, <laughs> session where you reflect on where, where we are as a family, right? This is the, the, the kind future. of the future that we are hoping uh, to uh, stimulate, you know, the, the, the movement towards. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Where, That's great. Where do you think your future lies? Where do you see yourself in 30 years? Oh shit. I'm not very good at predicting <laughs> my future. Um, I, I, I honestly, I, I don't know it for me right now, just like given the intensity of what we're trying to do at field trip, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I don't give myself permission to, cause I, I certainly know that it's in my nature. Um, to like get distracted, like when get things get hard or hairy being like, Oh, I'm going to start walking over here. Um, <laughs> and so I'm not, I'm not kind of, I'm trying not to give myself that permission because like I have, yeah. uh, I'll say an obligation, but also like a, a, a motivation and desire to like see this through. Um, 
to a place where I feel like it's in, in a good spot and, and then maybe I'll start thinking beyond that. But uh, I just want to keep it straight up, you know, focused on what I'm doing right now. But longer term, I just want to be, I think, an advocate and an ambassador for the space, encouraging people to like dive deeper, you know, think about things more, ask the questions they need to ask, make the changes that they need to change. Um, and, and, you know, just keep, keep that story going. Like, uh, in, in the documentary, um, and I'll, I can't remember if I sent the sizzle reel to you, but I will, uh, if I haven't, you know, the, the takeaway is that everyone's got a story that they need to wake up from. And so if I can help people wake up from the stories that they're telling themselves so they can tell themselves new stories that make them happier, healthy, more complete, more fulfilled, more loving, whatever the case may be, um, that's what I want to do with my my life. And, and you don't need psychedelics to do that. Psychedelics are an incredibly potent path to that, but they're not the only path to that. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the more important thing to me, which is realizing what stories you're telling yourself and, and finding ways to change them uh, as opposed to it being psychedelics exclusively. All right. That was beautiful. Very beautiful. And well said. What's the name of the documentary again? It's called ordinary trip. Um, so it started off with a thesis of, you know, what happens when uh, you subject ordinary people to the world's most potent psychedelics? Um, because a lot of the conversation that's happened right now uh, is around, you know, the extreme use cases of, of severe depression or anxiety or, or PTSD or, you know, the, the hippies, the spiritualists, um, or the Silicon Valley, Joe Rogan bro types. Right. And that, that's on the fringes. That's, that's not like the majority of people. So how do we bring the conversation to more people that resonates with them? If they don't yeah. fall into one of those four camps, uh, yeah. and so that's what we set off to do, and uh, it was it was a beautiful experience. It was actually one of the uh, most fulfilling experiences of my life was making that documentary. Wow. So wow, I'm really curious. When will this be released? I wish I knew. So right now we are um, doing the final touches on the edit. We've submitted it to some film festivals. Depending on what happens with those film festivals, we'll have a clearer timeline on distribution mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But we're waiting for the film festival responses before we try That's doing cool. anything else because it'd be really cool to premiere this at Sundance or South by Southwest or Cannes or yeah. something along those lines. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing Yeah, it. looking forward. We'll be sure to share it as well. Yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah, that's it for me for the questions. I yeah. uh, for you as well. Sebastian. I guess it's a good time as well. Too. Yeah, I think you have to head to your board meeting. And uh, I, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for your conversation well, uh, so far. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. I, I love what you guys are doing. Um, and so thanks for following up. I'm glad we got to make this happen, notwithstanding the, some of the technical issues. Um, and uh, forward to continue to support you guys in your journey and uh, keeping the conversation alive. Thank you so much for listening. If you made it all to the end, we have a special promotion on portiersupplies.com. I hope you check it out, and we'll see you in the next episode.